you have been born again. You're not what you used to be. You have a whole new nature. In the old days, it was all about you, your pleasures, your comforts, your desires. But now it's different. Now you love Jesus. Now you delight in him. Now you want to be like him. Now you want to be godly. You eagerly await the hope of righteousness. It's not about you anymore. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? You're not what you used to be. You have a whole new nature. Before, in the old days, it was all about you. Your pleasures, your comforts, your desires. But now it's different. Now you love Jesus. Now you delight in him. Now you want to be like him. Now you want to be godly. You eagerly await the hope of righteousness. It's not about you anymore. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? The Holy Spirit did that to you. You couldn't help being selfish and sinful. You were born that way and you could no more stop it than a dead man can get up and walk. But the Holy Spirit came along. He put new life into you, a whole new you, born again, alive from the dead. Now you live by the Spirit. And praise God, we do. We live, we are alive by the Spirit. But there's a problem. We learned about it last week. You already knew that it was there. The problem is the flesh, that big lump of meat you live in. It's the same lump of meat you lived in before you were born again, and it has all kinds of desires. The Bible calls them lusts. Lusts are just desires, really. It has all kinds of desires, attitudes, habits, ways of thinking and doing things that are ground into it. Some of them you inherited, some of them you learned, but they are all tainted with sin. Don't you wish it would all just go away? But it doesn't just go away. The flesh is a problem. And for now, you're stuck with it. You can override it. You don't have to give in to it. But you do have a battle on your hands. Paul says in verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There are some who would say, no, there is no such battle for the Christian. Well, I would say to them, well, come on, get real, for goodness sake. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a complete list. 
It's a representative list. It's a list of the kind of things that come from the flesh. You might not want to admit to everything on it, but you are in there, aren't you? The word translated fornication, that's the Greek word pornea. It's the one we get our word pornography from, of course, but it's pretty broad in its meaning. It covers every kind of improper sexual desire. You have some of those, don't you? Idolatry, that means putting anything before God, food, friends, money. It all counts as idolatry. Outbursts of wrath, that ring any bells? Selfish ambitions, drunkenness and revelries, that's a pair that covers more than just the obvious things. It's about people who are mastered and controlled by their desires. Oh, you are represented in that list, okay? Don't tell me that you don't feel the pull of those things. You feel it a lot. It's not what you want to be, but the tug of the flesh is very strong, and sometimes, more than sometimes, you give in to it. The battle with the flesh is an annoying reality for every Christian. If you say it's not, you're living in denial. You're either blatantly telling lies, or you're daft. Don't discourage the rest of us by telling us that you do not have a battle with the flesh. We all do. You have flesh just like the rest of it, but Paul says don't indulge it. Don't give it an opportunity. He has told us that Jesus has set us free from having to keep rules. But he says, don't take that liberty that Jesus has given you and make it an excuse. You, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Those who are Christ's, he says in verse 24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does that mean? Crucifying the flesh? Well, first of all, you can see that it is something that you have done. At least, I I hope you have done this. It's not something that God has done to you. So, whatever it is, it's not the same thing that we read about in Galatians 2 verse 20 or Romans 6 verse 6. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Romans 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's something that God has done. That is about the power of the old nature being destroyed. But this is something that we do. And what this is, is a pretty graphic representation or a pretty graphic description of repentance. Crucifixion was painful. It was unimaginably painful. Nobody enjoyed being crucified. It was pretty decisive when you were crucified. When you went to that cross, there was no way back. And it was pitiless. When they condemned you to crucifixion, there was no room for excuses. 
There were no mitigating circumstances that would ease your sentence. It was painful. It was decisive. It was pitiless. And you need to have made up your mind and dealt with your flesh in that way. You deal with it decisively. You deal with it without pity. And you deal with it even though it's painful. Yes, those desires and thoughts and habits and ways of going that come from the flesh still plague you. But is your mind made up? Is the flesh dead as far as you're concerned? Have you hung it on a cross? When those desires raise their head, is this how you respond? Do you say to yourself, that desire, that's the flesh and that's dead as far as I'm concerned? You see that attractive girl, you say, wowee, look at her, isn't she lovely? I fancy one of those. And you say, shut up flesh, you're dead meat. I'm not going to listen to you. You say, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. It's too cold. Get lost flesh. You have nothing to say about this because you're a goner. Have you done that? Is that how it is? Is the flesh dead as far as you're concerned? Has that been sorted out once and for all? at some time in the past. If it hasn't, do it now. Repent. Put that sin away. Make up your mind. It's dead. I have nothing more to do with it. Take a tip from an old sinner. If you're troubled with persistent sins, don't chase the sins. Go for the flesh. Put it on a cross Wring its neck once and for all. Hang it on a cross and don't take it down again. Not for anything. But even so, the battle still goes on. The flesh keeps calling out from its cross, keeps shouting out, let me down and I'll show you a good time. What do you do when that happens? At this point, people usually come up with a list of rules that are designed to keep the flesh under control. You have maybe done that yourself. Don't go to nightclubs. The flesh likes nightclubs. Don't drink. Don't wear short skirts. Come home every night before 9.30. The flesh really takes off after 9.30. Read your Bible more. Pray lots. You've got the idea. People come up with lists of rules to enable us to keep the flesh under control. They tell you you have got to make a plan and be really, really serious about it. You've got to ask yourself, what does a Christian look like? What does a really good Christian look like? And you have got to be really serious about trying to be that. You've got to make a plan for holiness and maturity. You've got to make a plan for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. I've got to make a plan so that I can be loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and kind and good and all the rest of it. And if you can't make up your own plan, there are people who will make up one for you. You can even buy books of plans to help you keep the flesh under control. 
Some of you are looking a bit puzzled. Some of you are thinking puzzled thoughts because you're thinking to yourself, I can't for the life of me think what would be wrong with that. Well, I'll tell you. It's religion. It's legalism. It's a return to living under the law. Might not strictly be the Old Testament law, it's just your own version of it. And have you not noticed how Paul keeps emphasizing in this passage that that must never, never happen? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He says in verse 2, it will profit you nothing. He says it makes you a debtor to keep the whole law. He says if you try to live by the law and save yourself by keeping the law, you have fallen from grace. You have rejected Christ. You have been called to liberty. Make a plan and be serious about it. It's a return to legalism. Now you know as well as I do that it leads to failure. You come up with all those rules for yourself. You say, yes, I'm really going to try hard. I'm going to be a godly person. I'm going to keep these rules. I'm not going to give the flesh any opportunity. And how long does it last? And you get up and you try again. And how long does it last? And you try again. And you blow it another time. And how many times do you try it before you get discouraged? Give up trying and go back to your old ways until something happens to give you a bit of a shove to give it another go. Leads to failure, disappointment, giving up. And even if it doesn't lead to failure, even you manage to keep the rules for a while, you know what it does then. Then it leads to pride. That was the sin Satan got thrown out of heaven for wasn't it? And we, in this funny kind of way, turn it around and make it a virtue. I keep the rules. I am so much better than other Christians who don't keep the rules. I have the flesh under control. Pride. Make a plan for godliness. Get some rules. Get serious about keeping them. I might not just have put it in those words, but I've taught it that way in the past. You've probably heard me teaching it that way, and I've got to ask for your forgiveness if I have imposed a burden of legalism on you. It's how I have taught it in the past. It's how a lot of recognized and respected Reformed commentaries will teach on this passage. Paul's answer is different. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He doesn't say make a plan. He doesn't say come up with rules and regulations. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He says much the same thing in Romans 8, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if... By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. 
Walk in the Spirit. As I said at the beginning, we have been born again by the Spirit of God. And Paul says, then, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 25. To walk in the Spirit, it means to walk in line or to be in line with the Spirit. The New International Version puts it like this. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And to keep in step with the Spirit, that means to follow the Spirit's rule. It means going along the path the Spirit defines. Hmm. That sounds like another one of those plans for holiness, doesn't it? That sounds very much like read your Bible, which is inspired by the Spirit, pick out all the rules in it and keep them. Sounds like living by rules again. But then Paul says in verse 18, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Part the idea of walking in the Spirit. We'll come back to it. What does he mean when he says about being led by the Spirit? Now, obviously, this is something that the Spirit does. Walking, that is what we do. You walk in the Spirit. But when you're led by the Spirit, the Spirit does that. The Spirit takes the initiative. He takes the initiative and he stirs up that new nature that is within you. The new nature that he has put there. He stirs up holy and good desires. He applies gentle pressure, nudges this way, nudges that way. That is what leading is. Well, do you see what this is? This is not legalism. This is about relationship. This is about relationship. This is about being closely in tune with God's Spirit. This is about being aware of and sensitive to his leading. This is about the Holy Spirit stirring up and prompting me the new me, the born-again me, the me that lives by the Spirit. This is about the Spirit stirring me up and me responding freely to his leading because that's my born-again desire. It's about me being in tune with him and joyfully hearing and responding to him. Oh, okay, right. Isn't that being very subjective? Isn't that being led by your feelings and you have told us, I have told you, don't trust your feelings and impulses. They lead you astray. They can lead you astray because those feelings and impulses can come from the flesh and you don't know are they from the flesh or are they from the, the spirit. How do you know what's spirit and how do you know what's flesh? Only the word of God is reliable. That's a good point and that's true. The word of God is reliable. Here's how it works. If the new birth is real, and it must be, it is, of course it is. If the new birth is real, then there are good thoughts, good feelings, and good impulses that come from that new born again you. 
But the flesh still screams, get me down from the cross and I'll show you a good time. How do you know then when the spirit is leading you and how do you know when the flesh is trying it on? Well, first of all, let's be honest, it's usually blindingly obvious. Most times you know flesh from spirit if you want to. If you're honest, if there's an impulse, a desire, a feeling, a thought that arises within you, if you look at it honestly, is this flesh or is this spirit? You know rightly most of the time. The works of the flesh are evident, Paul says. But secondly, and maybe most important, is at this point that the Bible is a check. It's a check. It's a reliable reference point. You see, it's the same Spirit who wrote the Bible who leads you and stirs up your desires and your passions. And there will never, ever be any conflict. The Spirit will never lead you in any way that is contrary to his word. He will never lead you to do anything that his word forbids. He will always lead you in ways that are consistent with what it says. And if you have difficulty understanding the Bible, well, the Holy Spirit helps you with that too, doesn't he? He opens your eyes. He enlightens your understanding. And sometimes he brings other Christians across your path to help you to understand it too. But do you see the Bible is a check? It's a reliable reference point. It's a vital check and reference point. We'd be in great trouble without it. You mustn't try and go without it. And the more you know it, the more comfortable you will be in knowing and following the Spirit's leading. But it is a check. It's not the starting point. If you put the Bible first, you make it a rule book. And that would be legalism. Maybe this would help. It's an illustration I found helpful. It comes from John Piper. He describes it like this. He says, the Holy Spirit is like the locomotive that pulls the train. Sets the direction. It gives the power to keep the train moving. And the word of God, the law, he says, is like the railroad track. You know you're following the locomotive when you're on the tracks. Now, don't push the illustration too far, but I think it's helpful. Now, let's get really practical. You want to overcome the flesh. You want to be godly. That's what these sermons are about. That's what we're learning from Galatians chapter 5. You want to be godly. You want to overcome the flesh. Now, if I tell you, well, you need to go and read your Bible more. You need to go and pray more. You need to be more disciplined. You need to keep these rules and be really serious about it. You would take that and you would turn it into legalism sooner or later. So I'm not doing that. I'm simply reminding you, you have a new nature. There is a born-again you that loves Jesus. 
build it up. And building up that born-again you that loves Jesus will mean something different probably for each of you. For some of you, it will mean reading your Bible more because you're not too hot at discerning the leading of the Spirit. Then read more and learn how the Spirit thinks and acts. For some of you, it will mean praying more because you need to plead with God to make himself more real and more felt in your experience. For some of you, it's going to mean repenting, hanging the flesh on the cross. For some of you, your faith needs strengthening and you need to do those things we talked about a few weeks ago that build up and strengthen our faith. And some of you need to overcome that strong tendency toward legalism. You need to learn to appreciate and enjoy your blood-bought liberty in Christ. It means different things to different people. You see, it's about relationship. It's not about the rules you keep. It's not about the things you do. It's about your relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's about being close to him and being led by his spirit. It's about being in tune with Jesus. It's about being led by him and walking in his path, being led by the spirit, then walking in the spirit. You know, when you are close to Jesus, when that relationship with him is good, you delight in him, don't you? You rejoice in him. You're happy in him. And that's why George Muller said, my first priority every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. My first priority every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. When I get up in the morning, have I cast all my anxieties and my burdens on him? Has every cloud of sin that has crept in between me and him been removed? Have I enjoyed and delighted in time in his presence? Is my soul happy in the Lord? It's about relationship. It's about keeping your heart happy in Jesus. Following his leading with an eye to that reference point that is sure and dependable, the word of God, and walking in the Spirit. We're going to have to spend more time on these ideas, and we will do that. And next we're going to ask, well, what happens when you are led by the Spirit? What happens when you are led by the Spirit? For now, let's pray together. Father, these are difficult and puzzling truths. We pray that you would help us to discern clearly what your Word is saying. But we do thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing that we are born again, that we have that new nature within us by your Spirit, that we live by the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be more aware of that, 
and help us to know in our experience the influence of the Holy Spirit stirring up that new nature with desires after righteousness and help us then to walk according to his leading for we pray in Jesus' name.